I want to pray together as we get started this morning. Um, you may have seen in the news, there's been another earthquake in Haiti. We serve Nehemiah Vision Ministries uh, there and so, much, so many challenges in, uh, in a place like Haiti. And so I want, I want to pray for that ministry and Pastor Pierre and his wife and uh, just their continued service there. Uh, so if you just join me, let, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we do come before you this morning and uh, just lift up our friends, our brothers and sisters in, in Haiti, and uh, specifically Nehemiah Vision Ministries and Pastor Pierre and his wife, Lord, and uh, we love being a part of the great work you're doing through that ministry, and uh, we love our friends there, and we love them deeply, and uh, we are trusting you and trusting you for recovery. Uh, for healing and for just for the continued work that we believe you're going to do through NVM. And uh, so thank you that we get to be a part of that. Uh, Lord, we just pray that uh, you, you bring glory to yourself uh, through it all and uh, just give our friends their strength. Uh, today. And I pray for our church family today, Lord. We uh, continue to turn to you in the midst of this pandemic and ask, Lord, for uh, your physical, physical protection uh, over our church. We pray for uh, your healing and recovery uh, for those that are sick and hurting right now. Uh, Father, we pray uh, for an end to this very evil virus, Lord. And uh, you raised your son from the dead. Uh, we are asking you to uh, conquer and just overcome uh, all of the impacts and effects of, of this uh, pandemic on so many people. Continue to give us faith, Lord, as people uh, living for you. Uh, continue to extend your wisdom and grace to people like our school leaders who are uh, trying to figure out how to do school in the midst of all of this. Uh, give us wisdom for, for every day ahead of us uh, in this world. Lord, we are trusting you. Our faith is in you. Uh, for all things, and we are believing you're here today and that uh, you're going to do something special in this place. And so open up our minds and our hearts uh, to hear from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, if you know me, if you've heard me talk enough, you've heard me tell a bunch of my stories and sometimes over and over again, and maybe you've heard me talk about the fact that I have some challenges when it comes to sleeping at night. And I like to sleep, I'm just not very good at it. And uh, I don't have any problems falling asleep, it's the staying asleep that can be the most uh, difficult for me at times. And I think this became most obvious when I became a lead pastor, actually. There was kind of a connection uh, with the sleepless nights and all, but but uh, specifically, my wife and I were having a conversation one day about why I was tired all of the time, and it was just really a revelation when she said to me, no, it's not normal to wake up five times a night. I thought everybody did that. I thought that was just kind of part of life, and she said, no, that's not natural at all, and so I talked to my doctor, and I ended up going to one of those sleep labs for the night, which isn't weird at all to go and do something like that, and uh, they put all these wires and probes on my head because that really will help you uh, in trying to sleep. And then they just put you in this strange room where this man watches you from a camera from another room while you sleep all night long. And uh, I remember he woke me up in the morning. He was really nice. He had a big smile on his face. And uh, he just said to me, he says, well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. He says, the good news is there's nothing wrong. The bad news is you got to figure out, you got to learn how to sleep. And so 10 years later, I've gotten a lot better uh, at sleeping, but I still have some restless uh, nights now and then. Today, I want to look 
at a guy who had some restless nights himself, uh, but his restlessness wasn't the result of insomnia or anything like that. His was because of a crazy dream uh, that he had and just kind of his struggle to figure out what it meant. And so if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 4 with us today in the Old Testament. As many of you know, we've been reading through the Bible as a church this year and talking about it on Sundays. And uh, the good news, if you've been following along, is this, we're almost to the New Testament. August 24th, I think, is the day when we turn the page, we get to start reading the New Testament together. Here's what I want to invite you to do. If you're not currently reading the Bible with us, if you fell off somewhere back in, you know, Song of Solomon or something, I, I want to invite you to join in as we're going to spend the rest of the year reading through the New Testament together, and we're going to talk about it here every Sunday. And so you can download, there's an app called the Read Scripture app. Uh, that's been a great resource. It's got a reading plan and some additional videos that you can watch to follow along with. Uh, there are paper copies of a reading plan back at the Info Hub if you'd rather have that. Uh, or you can go to our website where we've got some links there. But August 24th, we'll start reading the New Testament together. And I just hope that it'd be your desire to finish out the year uh, reading the Bible with us. But we've been looking at the life of Daniel uh, the last couple of weeks and how uh, he and Dan Daniel and his friends uh, we're uh, trying to just learn from them, like, what, what it means to, to live for Jesus in some difficult circumstances. You know, like, what, what's it look like to live in a world that's growing uh, more and more hostile and intolerant towards things like faith in God? And before we dive into Daniel 4, I think it's worth noting that this is a pretty unique chapter in the Bible, uh, and not just because it records a dream, but because it was written by someone you'd never expect to write a portion of Scripture. Who's that? Well, it turns out Daniel 4 is written by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. But this is not the Nebuchadnezzar of Daniel chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's a different guy. In fact, there are three different guys uh, that are mentioned in the book of Daniel. There's Nebuchadnezzar 1, who ruled from 625 to 604. There's Nebuchadnezzar the second, And again, this is the Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel 1, 2, and 3. This is the Nebuchadnezzar of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But by 562, he's gone. And somewhere between 562 and some say 556, the guy by the name of Nabonidus, who took the name Nebuchadnezzar III, is going to take power in Babylon. This is the Nebuchadnezzar of Daniel chapter 4, all right? And so we're going to discuss an episode from the life of Nebuchadnezzar III today, like his predecessors. He ruled the most powerful empire in the world, and he was just like the others, probably as ruthless, as powerful, as rich as the other two. And one more thing about Nebuchadnezzar III, he, like the others, struggled with pride. He struggled with pride. And I don't think I need to tell anyone how dangerous pride can be, especially for someone in power, especially for someone in authority. And we all know how pride can fuel any ego, uh, how it can give way quickly to things like arrogance, and how it causes us to think too highly of ourselves if not kept in check. Pride will deceive you into believing that you're better than everyone else or more important than others around you. And at least one more thing that pride can do is pride can fool us into thinking that we are greater than God, that we don't need God that we have everything we need in ourselves, that we can call all of our own shots. C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin, the great sin. And he said this about pride. He said, there is one vice 
of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when they see it in others, and of which hardly any people, except some Christians, ever imagine they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves, and the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others." John Stott, theologian, called pride our greatest enemy, that it is at the core of every sin and evil today. Pride, I would say, has the potential to do two things in any or each of us. One, it keeps people from turning to God, all right? Again, making us believe that we've got it taken care of. We call our own shots. We have everything that we need. The second is that it'll keep you growing in your faith. It'll keep you from growing in your faith. It, uh, pride gets in the way from us becoming and growing to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, cry, pride will impact you whether you call yourself a Christian. Uh, it's true for those of you that say, you know, I'm not a Christian. Like, we all struggle with pride. Some struggle with it more than others. Nebuchadnezzar did. And so what in the world is a pagan prideful king, what can he teach us about pride? We might be surprised. Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, Nebuchadnezzar's writing here, even though he addresses himself at the beginning of verse 1, but here's what he says, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I want you to take note in how his uh, scripture writing debut, this pagan king begins by writing a worship song to tell everyone how great the God of Israel has been to him. That doesn't sound too bad. That doesn't sound so prideful. I mean, does it? Like, how in the world did this, this king go from king to worship leader? Well, if you keep reading, you learn about a change of events in his life that's going to contribute to his change of heart. Verse 4, <clears throat> he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Basically, hey, life's good. I got everything I need. You know, I'm healthy, I've got kids, I've got all the money in the world, I'm living the Babylonian dream. But then I had this, this dream that interrupted my sleep. <clears throat> he continues, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all of the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. And so scholars agree that Nebuchadnezzar might have been religious, but he certainly wasn't spiritual. And there really is a difference because it's one thing to go through all of the motions of religion. And for, for Nebuchadnezzar, he built the statues, he had the ceremonies, he did the dedications, he gave a nod here and there. You could say he was maybe good at saying the right things, but this is the most powerful man in the world. And so why bow to someone else if everybody is expected to bow to you? But then he has this dream and it messes with him. And dreams were a really big deal in the ancient world, especially within the Babylonian Empire. And so finding someone to interpret the dream became an issue. And it's interesting when you think about the fact that Nebuchadnezzar had a whole department of men whose job and responsibility it was to interpret dreams. But unfortunately, in this situation, no one had an answer. That is until somebody thought about Daniel. 
And if you go back a couple of weeks ago, Daniel chapter 1, and you remember we talked about this here uh, in the room, that God gave Daniel the ability to interpret dreams because God had every intention of using this gift through Daniel as a way of helping him to earn favor and to earn influence, and not just so that it would benefit Daniel personally, but as a way of demonstrating his grace, God's grace to the Babylonian people. Like it's one more way that God was working to draw people to Himself, to bring glory to Himself even in a crazy, godless place like Babylon. Here's something that I think is true for us. As followers of Jesus, we're living in a Babylon of our own. All right, we've talked about that. Steve talked about that again last week. And you've been doing life. We're all interacting with people. We all know there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of confusion in our world right now. Can I remind you of something that we see right here in Daniel? And that is that God was able to use Daniel. He can use you. All right, he wants to use you each and every day, you know, in this world. He can use your gifts. He can use your skills. He can use your abilities to serve him. He can use the hope that he's given you, all right, to make an impression on somebody else. God can use your college degree and put you in an environment so that you can best serve him. He can put you in a job or the job that he has you in currently so that you can bring him glory and being a continuation of his grace to others. He can use your home. He can use your neighborhood and the relationships that you're developing with the people around you, again, as a way of extending his grace and his love to other people. I was talking to a man from our church a couple of weeks ago. He met me down front after one of the services. His name is Dave. Uh, He's a professor at a university, not a Christian university, and the longer that he has served there, the more and more respect that he has built with with his colleagues. And they know he's a Christian. He's talked boldly and yet graciously about his faith in Jesus Christ, and with so much humility, he was just telling me how, how God is using him there and how he is called upon regularly to give lectures and seminars about his faith and how it influences his work and his life and his service. Only God can do something like that. Listen, you and I, we are going to spend the rest of our days, you know, on this earth living in Babylon. But don't let that be a discouragement, you know, to you. Like God used Daniel. He can use you. He can use any one of us. And so let's make it our goal, all right? Let's make it our goal to be the best, most compassionate neighbors in town. Uh, Let's make it our goal to be the most generous people, all right? And that means when you go to a restaurant, you give the best tip, you know, that that server has received all day long. Uh, Let's make it our goal to be the most hardworking, honest employees, you know, on whatever team you're serving, to be the best, most trustworthy, respectful student at your school and in your classroom, and to be a church family that people run to when they need help. And they know that they can come to a place, to a church family like Genesis, and receive maybe the help they're looking for. Nebuchadnezzar had a need. He needed a dream interpreter, couldn't find one, but God put Daniel there. He had Daniel there. Verse 8, 
It says, finally, Daniel came into my presence, Nebuchadnezzar writes, and I told him the dream. And then you get this little footnote that Daniel's Babylonian given name was Belshazzar, and he adds, after the name of his God, the pagan God, but he says, and the spirit of the holy God is in him. Basically, there's just something about Daniel that's drawing others to him. And so Nebuchadnezzar turned to Daniel, which is a little ironic because Daniel's an outsider. He's a Jew living here in Babylon, but Nebuchadnezzar's in a tough place. Again, he's got this dream he can't understand, but I don't think it was just because he was so fixated in trying to understand the dream. I think really when it boils down to it, Nebuchadnezzar had a soul issue. And Nebuchadnezzar's tormented by life. He's tormented by the future and how he fits into it all. I mean, this is the most powerful man in the world. He's got everything he could ever possibly want or need. But he's beginning to realize that something is missing. I wonder if anyone here could relate anything like that. You've tried everything. You've gone looking for significance and satisfaction in so many things, and none of them seems to deliver. And if you have ever started a career, maybe your dream job before and it all fell apart, or a relationship that you had so much hope in and it didn't last, or maybe you've put all of your efforts into something like money and you know acquiring things, but it doesn't matter how much you acquire, you're still not satisfied. Or how about this one? Just all of us, I think so many of us in so many ways, and I, I think we've really noticed this in the last year and a half of just like this, this need for comfort, uh, this need for control of our circumstances, but then this pandemic messes everything up. And you don't know what to think about anything anymore and nothing feels certain. I, I just wonder if that's a little bit of what Nebuchadnezzar is going through, trying to make sense of it all. Like something is missing. He doesn't know what it is. And if you keep reading Daniel 4, all right, and you get into a little bit of the description of this dream, he begins describing, you know, to Daniel. And like most dreams, it's pretty odd. You know, in this dream, he saw an enormous tree uh, that could be seen from the ends of the earth. And the tree was not only tall, but it was, it was beautiful and it provided abundant food for the earth and shelter for the animals. And so as far as trees were concerned, it's a pretty impressive tree, but that's not the end of the dream. Verse 13, he says, in the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. And he called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, the messenger said, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by him. And so his dream quickly changes from this bedtime story about a giving tree uh, to this apocalyptic event. And again, none of Nebuchadnezzar's men could interpret the dream, but Daniel can. And so he's called upon to help the king understand and look at Daniel's response, verse 19. It says, Then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king says, Belshazzar, Daniel, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And Belshazzar, Daniel, answered, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Daniel basically says, Nebuchadnezzar, I hate to tell you this, but you are the tree, 
And, and I know you may not believe it, but in spite of your pride, in spite of your power, like, like you too will be chopped down. Excuse me, you'll be chopped down because of your pride, but, but that's not the worst of it. Verse 25, he goes on to say, you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone who wishes. Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, God is about to take away your kingdom. You're going to lose everything. You're going to lose your mind. In fact, it's going to get so bad for you that you're going to end up living like a wild animal out in the middle of nowhere, eating grass, and this is going to take place for a period of seven years. This is not good news for Nebuchadnezzar III and certainly not an easy message to deliver if you're a servant like Daniel, but there's something else I want to note here that I think is so important and so true. Uh, for each of us. And, and sure, delivering this difficult message to a, a prideful pagan king was one thing, but I think there's something else eating at Daniel too. Look again what verse 19 says. It says, then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. What's bothering Daniel? Here's what I think. I don't think Daniel is just anxious about delivering this message. I think Daniel's also troubled for Nebuchadnezzar and for Babylon. And I think this is something that we need to stop and acknowledge here because it would have been real easy for Daniel to enjoy every moment of the pain that Nebuchadnezzar was about to go through. And why not, right? I mean, this proud, arrogant, egotistical pagan king is going to finally get what's coming to him. And so would you blame Daniel for being like, guess what, Nebuchadnezzar? You mess with God, he's going to mess with you, you know? Or you mess with his people, and he's going to come that much stronger uh, back at you. Or you know what, big fella? Like you're going to finally get what you deserve, and I'm going to enjoy watching every single moment of it. I mean, doesn't that sound right? Like, wouldn't that be an easy kind of response? I mean, doesn't Daniel have the right to feel that way? Like, he lost everything. He lost his home, most likely lost his family. I mean, and isn't that how it works today? Like, isn't that so quickly our reaction, especially? I mean, we live in Babylon, and there's so much pride and arrogance and evil at work around us in this world. There's all this growing pressure against churches and, and Christians. Like, can't you see like, do you see, like I recognize this in myself this week, how easily pride can creep into my heart, into our hearts, especially when the one dishing it out finally gets a little bit of what they deserve. Like, who doesn't enjoy watching someone who's been such an antagonist towards what you believe take, take a big spill of their own? How quickly do we love it when a politician we hate finally messes up and everybody else gets to see it? Or someone outspoken gets caught in a web of lies. If there's a coworker that, that gets under your skin, it's easy to find pleasure when they miss a deadline. Or if there's a teammate taking some of your playtime and he or she gets hurt, you, you secretly you know, enjoy the new opportunity. We love watching people fall and fail. 
Do you see how quickly pride has a way of infecting even the heart of a Christian too? But not Daniel. Like this man with courage, this person with integrity, this one whose heart and effort in life is focused on living for God was horrified at the thought of Nebuchadnezzar getting what he deserved. And for those of us who claim to follow Jesus, who claim Him as our Lord and Savior, who has bought us at a price and forgiven us and redeemed us once and for all for eternity, human suffering and misfortune, no matter how deserved, should ever be cause for our celebration. We're here to love people. Jesus has us here on this earth for a reason, for a mission. And he has us here in Babylon so that we might help save people, that we might shine a light for Christ. And so what's our appropriate response to people who are far from God, even the prideful? Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, he said, if someone smacks you upside one side of your face, you might as well turn the other side and let them smack you there as well. And even Jesus, while he was hanging on the cross and people were mocking him, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Genesis Church, let, let's make it our effort, you know, even as we confront the prideful and, 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 and come up against resistance to dare to be like Jesus, all right? To dare to be like Daniel, even in these environments that he's called us to live in because Daniel was broken over the news that he had to share with Nebuchadnezzar. But pay close attention to these next few verses as we're gonna learn something important about God that applies to every one of us. Verse 26, Daniel says, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Daniel says, you know what, your majesty, I'd love to help you avoid these terrible times. So here the, here's the good news. You can be spared from all of this if you will acknowledge your pride, humble yourself, and admit that God is more powerful than you. Verse 27, he says, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, it may be that, then your prosperity will continue. And because of his faith in God, Daniel was able really to deliver this uh, hard but critically important truth. And that is your majesty losing your kingdom is not your biggest concern. Losing your mind isn't either. No, your greatest issue is a heart issue. It's that your heart is proud, that you've sinned against God, that your wealth has tricked you into believing that you've got everything that you need and that your health has deceived you into believing that you're going to live forever. Your position and success have fooled you into thinking that you can save yourself. Daniel really spelled it out as clearly as he could for Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, this is what's coming, Nebuchadnezzar. But there's a way out. There's a way through. And what's the way out? Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, turn from your sin. Humble yourself. Put your hope in God. And how did Nebuchadnezzar respond? He wrote another song. Not about God, though. He wrote it about himself because pride has a funny way of working in us. Look, look, look what we see in verse 28. It says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said this, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? 
And so an entire year passes by, and apparently this dream and warning from Daniel was basically a distant memory. And so Nebuchadnezzar's decided that he's going to celebrate himself by telling himself how great he is. But in a moment, everything comes crashing down, because here's what we read in verse 31. It says, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And now verse 33. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And just like that, Nebuchadnezzar's nightmare became a reality. He lost his mind. He becomes like an animal to the point that his hair is like these feathers, claws of a bird, his entire world. His livelihood and sanity came crashing down in an instant, all because of his proud refusal to humble himself before God. Here's something fun, kind of interesting. I was reading this past week and saw this in multiple sources, that if you look up Nebuchadnezzar III or Nabonidus, even in some reports like the Babylonian Chronicles, New World Encyclopedia, I even read this on Wikipedia, that one of the things that's noticed about Nebuchadnezzar III from history is that he went off the radar for a period of time. History records he disappeared, and there are all sorts of different theories about what happened to him. I just think that's kind of interesting and thought it would be a fun thing to share. But it still leaves us wondering, what's Nebuchadnezzar's story have to do with us? We may not feel like we got a lot in common with Nebuchadnezzar's wealth, power, and influence, even his pride, but we can learn from the story as we're reminded that God isn't really interested or impressed with our accomplishments, our fame, our power, our success, our wealth. Like those things don't draw him to us. But there's something that he is very concerned with. And that is just like with Nebuchadnezzar, like God is concerned about our sin. He's concerned about our pride. He's concerned about our condition, the condition of our hearts towards him. Like we've all got a little of Nebuchadnezzar in us. And pride says things like, you know what, I've got this under control. Uh, pride says, I've got everything that I need. Pride says, you know what, I can determine my own destiny. And if we're not careful, like we can end up living this Babylonian sort of way, put our heads down and pretend like we've got everything all sorted out. And we too, like Nebuchadnezzar, would be wise to hear Daniel's warning in verse 27 when he says, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins. And the more I've studied this passage this week and thought about our time together, the more I'm convinced that I think this verse is really the point of the story for the simple reason that it's the same message that echoes throughout all of the Bible throughout all of Scripture, and the very reason that Jesus Christ came to this earth for us. And that is that from the very beginning, Scripture tells this story of God's goodness and His perfect creation that was lost because of our sin, because of our rejection, because of our pride and our rebellion. And our pride, therefore, has separated us from God. Our pride is the reason we find ourselves in the condition that we find ourselves in today. And so our sin keeps us from God, but thankfully God didn't abandon us to our pride or to our sin, but that he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to this earth who lived a perfect life and then died and 
was, was raised from the dead in our place. And because he was raised from the dead, it means that in Jesus Christ, we are free. You know, the hope that we have in Christ is that we are forgiven. We can be redeemed, you know, through Jesus. And it's through Jesus that we find our hope. It's through Jesus that we find our purpose. It's through Jesus that we find healing and, and strength and really our reasons for living in this Babylon today. But the crazy thing about God's love is he doesn't force his love upon us. Like he's never going to force his love upon you. And certainly he's going to put you in some, somebody in your life. He may have put you in this church. He may have put you here today as a way of experiencing and seeing his love firsthand. But that's a choice that you've got to make. I mean, he, he makes his son and his love available to every single one of us. But, but we have to choose. You, you have to choose to turn to Jesus. Like you have, you have to choose to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior to receive that forgiveness, to, to receive that redemption in life. and life. And Jesus is the only one. Like, he's the only one that can help us overcome our pride. He's the only way we can be made right with God and the way we receive the gift of his forgiveness is by owning our part and admitting that we have sinned against God, admitting that my sin has separated me from God and then trusting Jesus to take care of of the rest. And that's why Jesus was able to boldly proclaim in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so I'm convinced verse 27 really is kind of the hinge of Daniel 4 because Daniel pleads with the king to admit his sins and to turn back to God. And thankfully, at least from what we can tell, Nebuchadnezzar got that message because if you, if you read, if you keep reading, he eventually, you know, chapter 4 ends with another worship song, but this time his song is directed at the king of kings. You can read it in Daniel 4, 34 to 37, but let me at least point out the first verse there, verse 34, when Nebuchadnezzar says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. And so something happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life, but not without some pain and not without some struggle. And his response was to let everyone know by worshiping God for His greatness and for His goodness. I don't know what God wants to do in your life today and what he's up to right now, and how you're experiencing him, what you think about him, even where you stand with God right now. And I won't pretend to understand what he is up to in this world. I am praying and trusting God for healing. I am trusting him for a new day. But I do believe that he is using some of the chaos of this world right now, the uncertainty, the frustration and pain that we're all experiencing but maybe you have on a very personal level some very unique difficulties and challenges that you're going through. I guess just what I'm going to say is this, is, is God is he's willing to use these things to humble the proud, uh, to call people to repentance, to purify the church, you know, and to grow our faith and our desperation and our dependence for him. Could your pain your frustration, your anxiety, your fear, could God be using it to get your attention? Jesus is coming back. 
He is coming back. And the question that you've got to wrestle with is, are you ready for that? And if you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, been baptized as a way of demonstrating that and been living for Jesus, you've got nothing to worry about, all right? You can walk around with a big smile on your face and all the hope in the world because Christ is coming back and we're going to live with him for all of eternity. If you've never made a decision like that, you've got some work to do. And, and work not in saying that you've got to perform your way, you know, into his love or into his family, but at least doing the work of asking yourself, well, what's it mean for me? You know, what, what's God trying to accomplish in my life and what's preventing me from turning to him? The greatest decision that you will ever make in your life is to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the only thing that will matter when you die or when Jesus returns one day. And you can make that decision to trust Christ today. His love is that good. His forgiveness is that great. He loves you for who you are, you know, not for what you've accomplished, not for your past or even what could potentially happen in the future. He loves you as you are, and he offers his life and his hope and his forgiveness to you today. Will you turn to him? Will you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Be baptized, you know, and live for him. Live with all of the hope that you'll ever need. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great, your amazing love for us, your patience, your goodness, your ability to work even in the most difficult and challenging circumstances of our life, that you are there, that you are constantly inviting us back. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for those who have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, for the hope that we have in you. Continue to give us encouragement and strength to live for you each day to live faithfully like Daniel, like Jesus in this world, to live for you. But I pray right now for those in the room that have never made a decision to trust Jesus. Lord, what do you want to do in their lives today? Let me ask you in a very personal way, what are you willing to let Jesus do in your life right now? What's keeping you from turning to him? You can do that wherever you are, wherever you're seated. Just talk to God to say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I am repenting of my sins today. I'm turning from my sins today. I need your love and your forgiveness. I want to live for you. Father, have your way in this place today. Change somebody's life here this morning, Lord. We are here for you. We want to live for you. Let me just add before I close, you know, if that's a decision that you've made today, if that's a prayer that you've prayed, if that's a prayer you want to pray but aren't sure how to do that on your own, I'll be up front afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. We'll stay as long as it takes. Don't miss a moment today to receive Christ's love. His grace is good. He loves you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.